We would on this evening address this, and I wasn't sure what we would get as far as people coming, because I, my intent was to entitle this one for several weeks. I was thinking, I have an idea. I'm going to put sex in the sanctuary and just see what kind of reaction we get. And that's the topic we're talking about, and quite frankly, that title fits the text that we're going to be talking about. And I know that right away when I say from the pulpit sex, there's an awkwardness that will be created, and people in an attentive, you know, uh, a nervousness. And yet I wonder sometimes if we try to avoid the topic in order to be, you know, pure in what we say and not be silly in that area, if we at times are not doing more damage. The reason I say that is this. When we talk about this topic, and when we do, and I know that there's, there's uh, it's mixed company, there's all those things, we are living in a society that is very sex, sexually oriented. We are living in a society that is propagating sexual views that do not line up with the Bible. And if we don't teach the right view... What's going to be passed on to the next generation? And so I'm getting concerned more and more that would say, wait a minute, I think that I, I need to teach this for our young people's sake, for our parents' sake, for, in my family, my grandkids' sake, that we need to talk about these things and not in a prudish way, put our heads in the closet and say, we don't want to talk about this, don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about what the Bible says about it. Without being gross or silly or, or you, know, um, you know, risque, let's talk biblically. Because here's what we are facing. Your view on homosexuality, a Pew Research does, does surveys amongst those who go to church in America. Those professing to be Christian that say, yes, I am what you would identify as a Christian. I go to church. I'm not saying they're born again. But I'm involved with Christianity as a whole. What is your view on homosexuality? 2018, 54% said we should be, it should be accepted. 34, 38% say reject it altogether. And then the others don't have an opinion or don't know. Does that teach you and tell you what we have in store for the future? Okay, that's a dangerous stat. Here's one from a book that was done, a study 2018, that was done, and they asked this. What about sex outside of marriage? Marriage relationship, right or wrong? Of those who say, I'm a fundamental conservative, now that, that is their definition, I'm a, a real strong conservative. What is your view about sex outside of marriage? Besides, you know, we would talk about an affair or something of that sort. 37% said it's always wrong. 41% not wrong at all. That's of those who claim to be conservative Christians in America. Here's one. Among never married individuals, single individuals, fundamental conservative Christian single adults that were surveyed, 86% of the males, females, 82 said they already had, a, had at least one sexual partner and they're not married. And yet, what does the Bible call that? Fornication. We'll take you a little bit further. Institute of Family Studies, this is not an issue with the younger generation only. Those who have had sexual relations outside of their marriage, this has been a national average for 30 years. Percentage of Americans that will say, yes, I've had some type of an affair outside my marriage. Statistical. Idea? Guess? It's not that high. Not that high. Okay. Yeah, good is right. It's 16%, okay, that have said that they actually have had that affair. 
The problem is in the last four years there's been a change that the over 55 crowd is now getting one of the highest ratings. That is, they're saying 20% are claiming I've had an affair outside of marriage. Then we get into pornography. Not that we're getting into pornography, but we're talking about pornography. Okay? This is scary. This is, this is devastating stuff. 40 million Americans, regular visitor, visitors to porn sites. 42 million porn websites are there on the Internet. The porn industry makes more money than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. They have more monies behind them than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. Surveys indicate 47% of families in America are saying that it is a problem at some time in their family. Eleven is the average age when children are first being exposed to porn. And children who are 14, 94%. Thank you for cell phones. Seventy okay. percent of the Christian youth pastors in America say that in 12 months' time, they have at least one teen coming and saying they are struggling or addicted to pornography. Surveys estimate that 76% of men in that early age actively search porn. 33% of the women. 57% of the pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 7% say they have some ministry to address it. If we continue to keep our head in the sand... We will be devastated by this sin. So we need to address it. We need to talk about it. We know that the coronavirus is out there, and it is deadly. It is dangerous. I suggest to you there's another pandemic, and it's called the sexual uh, attacks upon America. So where do we go with this? Well, we're not the first generation that had this problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul has to write actually two chapters worth, two, uh, chapter and a half. Chapter, half of chapter 6 and all of 7 deals with this topic of sexuality. And when he's writing, he's writing to Corinth. And understand that the city of Corinth was the largest population center in Greece at the time. Very wealthy city. If you look at it on the map, it was at the Isthmus where they were, had two ports. And therefore, they had a lot of business coming through, a lot of sailors. And so they were a, they were a city that had a, had a lot of people coming and going. And that led to and encouraged the type of things that would happen there. They had a major temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And in this temple that they had, she was one that you would worship by sexual activities. There was over a thousand temple servants available to have relationships with anybody who wanted to come in and worship that way. And so the city propagated it. There's a Roman scholar or historian who writes about it. Strabo is his name. And he writes about how Corinth was one of the worst cities. And he's writing to a young man who's going into merchant work. And he's writing, he says, be very careful the city of Corinth. There is no other city in the Mediterranean that will be as devastating to your personal purity than Corinth. And then we understand that there was in writings in ancient worlds, they talked about to Corinthianize became a term. And it meant to Corinthianize that you were engaging in very illicit sexual activity. 
So Paul is writing to peoples that are living there, who have a church there, who are born again, and he's going to write to them and look at verse 18 in chapter 6. He makes this comment very clear and very bluntly. He says in the first two words in all your Bibles of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18, flee fornication. The word that he uses is pornea. And we understand that that word sometimes is talking about in specific context to extramarital or premarital, but other contexts it means in a very broad sense any type of sexual activity that is outside of a marriage relationship between the husband and wife. And I did qualify marriage relationship between a husband and wife. Okay, two of the opposite gender. And so what he says to them is flee, get as far away as you can, run from any of these temptations. And the verb literally means keep on fleeing, keep on fleeing, keep on fleeing. What's that tell you? That tells you it was an ongoing problem and temptation for the Corinthians. And so he writes to me, he says, stay away from it. Now, let's make sure we understand biblically that the writers of the New Testament are not saying that sexual relationships are wrong and evil. They never said that. The Bible never tells us that. Okay, it talks about those who are married that it is very appropriate. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to, and the word touch is very, very uh, pr uh, touching in a private way. And he says, it is good for a man not to pet, caress, Touch in private parts a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render due benevolence to the wife. Likewise, the wife to the husband. The wife doesn't have power over her own body, but the husband. Likewise, the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. That is, you don't defraud one another or keep that relationship from each other, except to be with mutual consent for a time that you may give yourself to prayer and fasting. And then you come together, you have physical sexual relationships, marital relationships, in verse 5, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And so he's making it very clear. This is exactly what Hebrew says. Hebrew says marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled in marriage. So is the Bible, I'm going to, I'm going to be blunt, okay, is the Bible saying it is okay for individuals to have a sexual relationship with another individual? With my wife, my wife with her husband. Absolutely. And it encourages it. And it is a wonderful aspect of marriage. It is a fabulous relationship that you can enjoy with the partner that God has given you in marriage. And that it's appropriate. It's proper. But beyond marriage relationships, you flee fornication. You flee the pornography that is getting you to focus on somebody other than your spouse. You flee premarital sex. You flee parking when you're dating. And all of a sudden there's the abundance of kissing and petting that gets carried away. You flee the relationships at work where somebody is trying to proposition. You flee putting yourself in a very awkward compromising position with somebody else. You flee, you flee. You flee from homosexuality. You flee from the transgender ideas. You flee from everything that does not line up with Scripture in that area. And he gives us several reasons why in this text. The text would say, number one, 
Number one is this. Such activity does not fit the Christian life. Back up to verse 9. In verse 9, he makes this comment. Know ye not? And he's going to say this phrase several times. Don't you know? Don't you know? You've heard this. Why why isn't it clicking with you? Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, this thought is very, very, very important to Paul because he says it at the beginning of verse 9. He says it at the end of verse 10. This type of conduct does not mean... That individual does not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that, like I say, both... It's a sandwich. And in between, he describes what is unrighteous conduct. Be not deceived, or don't let somebody else tell you anything differently. Don't let somebody else deceive you, nor you deceive some others. And he talks about fornication, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners. Again, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the ones we're talking about and focusing on are these. Fornicators, adulterers. That's pre-extramarital. Effeminate and abusers of themselves. It is the passive and the aggressive partners in a homosexual relationship. And he says, they are not. If this is their normal lifestyle, if this is what's regularly going on, there's fornication, there's adultery, that individual indicates that they do not have the Spirit of God living within them. The Holy Spirit, Paul is saying in this text, he's going to say, I'm very adamant. The Holy Spirit has directed me. To be very adamant and pointing out that if God is in you, you will live godly. If you are not living godly, it's because God is not in you. He makes that statement very clear. And he mentions it twice. You shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not in- is there any doubt in anybody's mind what he is getting at? The Holy Spirit is saying this type of regular activity indicates the Spirit of God is not living within you. And then he emphasizes, don't you know this already? Then he emphasizes, don't be deceived. Don't let somebody tell you differently. Don't let some friends persuade you that it's okay to have the premarital relationships. Because if you, you, know, you never buy a shoe without trying it on. And he says, no, no, no. No, this is totally contrary to the way a godly person, a person with God in them lives. If you are born again, this is not your lifestyle. In fact, he makes this comment to these individuals that that is even more loaded. He goes on, he says, such were some of you. You used to live this way, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, because of what God has done in you. Jesus working in you through his Spirit He stopped those things in your life. He wants you to be changed from those things. You've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified. Therefore, we know this. In this church of Corinth, those people had a past. In this church, there's a number of us who have a past. A past that we don't want to talk about. We're glad it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. But when we come to a church like us, a church like Corinth, we understand that there are pasts. There are things in our background that God has forgiven us of, He has cleansed us from, He has justified us from by His grace. And His intent is we don't go back to those lifestyles. We don't do it again. And those in Christ, in other words, were to live different. He wants us to be different. 
He doesn't want us who are involved with illicit things. He doesn't want us to be involved with illicit stuff anymore. Whether it be the drinking or the carousing or whatever the, the list includes. We have been changed by God and therefore those types of activities that we used to have, they do not fit with Christian, those who are following Christ. We are to live different because we're saved. So, somebody says, why should I live a pure life? Because you're a child of the king who says, be ye holy as... Okay, so that's the number one reason. Because it doesn't fit Christianity. So we stay away from that stuff. We flee from it. Because fornication doesn't fit our confession of faith. Number two, why we run from it. It will be harmful for those who indulge in it. It'll be harmful. The text talks about it. The text goes on and he says the next phrase. All things are lawful to me. Now, please don't misunderstand Paul. And I've heard people say this. People will say, oh, is Paul saying that I can do all these things? No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. He isn't saying, oh, all those things, they're still, I can still be doing them. That, that is not what he's saying at all. He's never promoting sin, never has. But in the context of verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 12 following, the context is appetites. Your, your food appetites and your sexual appetites. That's the next, what he talks about the next few verses. And so he's saying, all things are lawful for me. I can eat and I can eat anything, Paul's saying. But is there limitations to what Paul can eat? There should be, like the amount, right? Should we, should we just go and, you know, let's do Shady Maple every day, okay? And we'll go down and say it's our birthday, it's free. So we do, go do Shady Maple every day. Is there something unhealthy if you kept on doing that every day? Like about 30 pounds at the end of the week, Right? And so he's using the illustration, what he's talking about, he's saying, okay, there's a lot of things that I could do, and I don't even know if he's making a statement, and I, I'm, I lean this, lean this way more and more I think about it, is he is saying, you might say to yourself, all things are lawful. That's the Corinthian way of thinking. And so he's probably suggesting that idea, but then he concludes, this is Paul's definitely from Paul's mouth, but, not, but all things are not expedient, Okay, that's what I'm reading in, in my translation. And I need to want to say, okay, what does that mean? Expedient. The word literally means beneficial, advantageous, helpful. Not all things are helpful. In other words, let's flip over to the opposite. If some things aren't helpful to me, that means they're probably harmful to me. Not everything is, is good. Now, he's going to talk in this, uh, this passage, and you understand it. You understand, can illicit relationships harm somebody? Okay, can they harm a marriage? 56% of those who are going through divorce in America in 2018 said that one of the contributing factors to their divorce was an involvement in pornography. Can that involvement in pornography break confidence and trust? Yes. Yes. Can it be harmful? Whoops, excuse me. Can it be harmful to somebody's personal health to get involved with illicit, rampant sexual, partners in sexual relationships? We all, we all know about STDs. 
Okay? Can, can a, an affair affect somebody's job? Can it affect friendships? Can it affect reputation? Could an affair affect ministry? Could, could it destroy somebody's ministry? Yeah. Can it destroy trust? You all know what the picture is up here. Who is it? King David and... Did they suffer any harm because of having an affair, a tryst? Yeah. 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 There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Do you remember Numbers 25? Remember how Balaam advised the Moabites, you want to get the Israelites to stop following God? You send them your daughters. Let the daughters go in and... You know, do whatever they do to get the guy's attention. And this is the time when Phineas sees one of the leaders of Israel taking one of the leaders of the Moabites and going into their tent to have a private encounter. And remember what Phineas does? He walks in with a spear, okay? And he takes care of the two of them. But because there were so many people involved, do you remember what God did? He sent a plague. And according to 1 Corinthians 10, 23,000 people died because God judged them for these illicit relationships. Does God ever in the Word of God warn us about the physical dangers? The lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sore. Her feet go down to death her steps take hold on hell. He goes further later in the chapter. Remove thy way far from her. Come not even near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor unto others. And your years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with your wealth. And your labors be in the house of a stranger. And you mourn at the last. When your flesh and your body are consumed. Folk. Illicit relationships can lead to great harm. Can, 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 can cause, and, and then he talks about in the text. Jump a little bit further as he goes into this passage. We're jumping up to verse 18. Flee fornication. And then he makes a statement that people are going to forever until we get to heaven discuss. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. How, what is he saying? I'm going to give you what I think. I think that what he's doing is all these other sins that he's listed like the alcohol and the greed and the covetousness, they're dealing with stuff outside the body, okay? In the sense that they're, they're you know, things that, that in, in, you know, they can captivate, they can get me involved. But when it comes to fornication, this is a sin I do with my body, is what he's getting at. We, we sin against our own body. Is that body the partner? Possibly. Is that body Jesus Christ? Possibly. Is it even your own physical body? Is it your own physical body in the sense that illicit sex carries some unique consequences that can affect you adversely in the future? Besides just the sexually transmitted diseases. Is he talking about how it can affect with the guilts? It can endanger your future of sexual relationships. It can cause tremendous guilt and hardships where King David cries out 
that his bones waxed old. There was the roaring of the guilt day after day and night after night. And the Word of God is very clear on this, that there is harm physical to those who get involved with pornea. Third reason, if you don't flee from it, it says in the Word of God, it will take control of you. It will take control of you. All things are lawful unto me, he said, but they're not expedient. And he repeats that phrase, all things are lawful for me. That's what you people are saying. But I will not be brought under the power of any. That idea is, if I don't flee, and if I give in to a little bit, it's like the Lay's potato chips. Remember their old commercial? Okay. It's like turning on a faucet, and now you can't turn this faucet back off. It's like young people and saying, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal if we're dating and we have sexual relations just once. It doesn't stop with just once. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and visit the porn site, and I will only look at it once. And then the next week, I'll look at it just a little bit. And then the next week, I'll look at it a little bit more. And, and I'm not dead. God hasn't struck me yet. So maybe I can look a little bit more. And then a little bit more, and pretty soon, you don't even control yourself. That sight is controlling you. And you are looking at it at the stupidest times. It is manipulating you. You are working lies to, get your, to give you the opportunity to look. And it dominates. It, it takes over. And he's telling us. He's telling us. He's warning. This is one of the most captivating temptations. MacArthur put it this way. I, I, I appreciate his comment. No sin is more controlling than illicit sexual activity. The more one indulges in the sexual temptations, the greater the control it imposes. From the toleration of illicit thoughts to small indiscretions to flagrant vices. We need to flee. Flee. Run from the temptation. Be very, very careful. Unhindered temptation. Should we do the story? Go up on the housetop. Unhindered temptation sees Bathsheba. The desire grows into inviting her over, grows into the idea of, okay, we had a tryst. Now let's cover up this for months to leads to. Let's manipulate covering it up by throwing a party and getting somebody drunk. Let's, let's cover this up by uh, let's make sure this guy goes to battle and he gets killed. And I, and I put other people in danger. You know, we always think about the, uh, the Uriah in that sense that he is underneath that wall. But there was other soldiers underneath that wall too that had to run away. And so we, we look at these stories and it's like, how did King David go from an illicit thought to becoming a murderer? And then he loses four of his own kids over it. Ah. Oh. Oh, if we would only learn from the scriptures and the stories and what God has said and flee from modern-day temptations of the same sort. And, folk, we don't have to go on the rooftop. Satan has made it so much easier for us. We can sit in the comfort of our living rooms. 
be in our bedrooms and be overcome. He's warning us for another fourth reason. It distorts the purposes of God that God has for you and your body. It's an interesting text. And he says it a couple times again. Don't you know? Don't you know? It shows up you know, again, verse 15, verse 19. Don't you know? This, is, this has been explained. I don't, you don't get it? You know, what's wrong with you people? And he's making that comment. And what we know is they know what God wants. And it wasn't just for them only. We read in 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God. Some of you say, what is the will of God for my life? I don't know what the will of God. There it is. Your sanctification. Your purity. Abstain from anything except for a marital relationship. Abstain. Flee. Run from it. This is the will of God for every, every teenager. This is the will of God for unmarried folk. This is the will of God for married folk. Purity. And so he's saying, don't you know that? Don't you know that? And he gives several facts here that are interesting how he unfolds this and how he you know, uh, brings it out. He says, our body appetites are just temporary, which it, it, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting way he phrased it. Meats for the belly and belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Okay, so our, our body is made for meeting a physical appetite, which is appropriate, and there's a way to have, meet that, the, to have that appetite taken care of, and it's proper, and God has designed it, but God is not going to leave that to be permanent. The belly will be destroyed. The meats will be destroyed one day. And so he is making, I think this is what he's doing, he's making a point that is basically saying to them, hey, keep in mind that some of the things that we do in this life they aren't going with us in the next life. God never intended this to be long-term. In other words, it isn't the greatest priority in your life. Now tell that to somebody who wants to get married and is looking forward to get married and tell them the biggest part of your relationship is not going to be the sexual relationship. And when we weren't, those before we got married, it was like, that's that's what this is all about. And it's not. There's other more major parts of marriage than the physical. And the physical's fun. It's great. It's good. But there's a whole lot more there. And so he's saying to, to you and me, saying, that's not the most important thing in, in, in all of eternity is us having sexual gratification. It's only temporary. The appetite is only temporary. And our bodies are for the Lord. And he unfolds this. And it's just how he said, Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for our body. And so he goes, and then he makes comment in how he ties this together. He says, And God will raise, hath raised up the Lord, will also raise us up in his own power. And so he's making a statement, and then he brings it into the resurrection that God's going to meet our needs. God's caring for us. He understands our physical needs, but he's going to raise up our bodies one day. I think what he's talking about is, is this idea, my body is to God a very important element of me. He's going to resurrect it. My body is an important part that he wants with him me and my body in eternity, that he wants me and my body to serve him in eternity, that he wants us, therefore, to take care of this body that will be in eternity, take care of it now so it can be used for the Lord as a clean vessel. 
And so I understand that, wait, this physical relationship, it's grand, it's good, but it's not so grand and good that I should go outside of marriage and just satisfy and make it the biggest goal of my life because it is temporary. And number two, I'm supposed to be taking care of this body for God's purposes in eternity and not, and not damaging it, not making it dishonorable. And then he adds to it, in fact, keep this in mind, our bodies are uniquely tied to Christ. He makes in verse 15 this comment, Know ye not, again, you guys know this, you know this, why aren't you thinking it? Know ye not that your body is a member of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them a member of a harlot? God forbid! What? Know ye not that he that is joined to a harlot is one body, and the two saith he shall be one flesh? He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And he's making a a biblical statement that we as believers, we as believers, we have a unique relationship with Christ. We have one that we're one spirit with Christ. But also, he is with us in our bodies. Therefore, wherever I go with my body, who do I take with me? Jesus Christ. Whatever I do with this body, who am I associating that activity with? Jesus Christ. And so in this, in this spiritual sense, Jesus is with me. In this spiritual sense, you know, wherever I go, he goes. What I do, he's associated with. And if I were to be a Corinthian and go down to the temple and get engaged with a sexual activity of worship, I have just involved Jesus Christ in paganism. And I have thrown Jesus into temple ungodly worship altogether. And because, because there is a tie, when there is a physical relationship taking place, there is some more of a tie than just having sex like an animal. It is an involvement when it comes to people. And he's saying what you're doing is you're involving Christ into that type of conduct. God forbid that you would even think of taking Christ and having him yoked up with a harlot. God forbid. It's just unthinkable. But if you do it with your body, that's what you've done. God forbid that you would sit down and watch porn with Jesus Christ. But if you do it, that's what you're doing. He's there. He's with you. He's seeing it. God forbid that you would have a relationship with somebody other than your partner. You've just taken Jesus into that type of illicit relationship. And so he's making it very clear that this is something that we couldn't think this. We're born again. We can't think that. God has a different purpose for us. God has has saying that it can be harmful. And then he ends up with this thought. Your body belongs to him. Your body is not your own. And then again, he starts off. The Holy Spirit is saying it one more time. He says in in the passage as you look at it, What? Don't you know this? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. The word temple is naos. It is the inner sanctum. It is the place. It's It's not a building. It's the place where God would reside. Your body is the place where God literally resides. He's not only in heaven, he's in your your body. And so he says, okay, the next time you people are tempted to think about anything that is porny, think about this, you're never alone. 
You're never alone. I can, I can get involved. I can go to the street corner and make a proposition. Nobody will know. God is there. Right next to you. In fact, he's not only next to you, he's, he's in you. He's in you. You are not your own. You are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. You are to be glorifying God in your body. This is what he's getting at. Now, let me be graphically gross. You would never, you and I would never think of having some type of a sexual activity in this room because this is the sanctuary. You wouldn't, I would, I would, you wouldn't sit here during a church service and be watching porn. You would say, most of us would say, how crazy. If you do it at home, you're having sex in the sanctuary of God because that's you. He lives here. Not here. He actually lives here. This is the sanctuary. And so he challenges. He's ending up, he's saying, guys, with that in mind, purity. Purity, 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 purity. Parents, purity. Repeated purity. Teens, purity. Purity. Determination. No sex until you're married. Until you're married. It's gonna, I'm going to save myself for my partner. Purity. Purity. What do we do with it? Got to teach it. If we don't teach it, they're not going to get it. The world is not teaching, keep yourself for your partner. We've got to teach it. We've got to instruct it. We've got to be saying, wait a minute, by practice, showing and saying, flee, flee quickly. Quickly and completely flee. If it's an issue, if it's a problem, flee. Make no provision for the flesh. Okay? Flee from it. If it's a problem, then don't have a computer in a private spot. Have it where there's accountability. If it's a problem, then with somebody at work, then get a different shift or a different job. If your hands offend you, your eye offends you, cut it off, pluck it out. Take drastic measures. Flee, 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 flee. If you're, if you're struggling with this, get help. Get help. Confess your faults one to another. Get some help. Get some accountability. Get some help. The, the bulletins had in the last three weeks, the Addicted to Christ ministry you want to start. The Addicted to Christ ministry isn't just dealing with um, alcohol or drugs. It's dealing with addictions to eating. The principles are there. It's dealing with addictions to you know, credit card abuse. It's dealing with addictions that could be sexual in nature. Whether it's you that is having the struggle or somebody you know, that, that class that Pastor Allen's going to be starting offering those seminars, they may be extremely helpful for you to get the biblical principles so you can share with others. And while you're sharing with others, you're applying them to yourself. If you're guilty, repent and seek God's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, from how much? All unrighteousness. You say, this is so difficult. I can do all things through Christ. You can have victory. You can overcome. And though this is one of those topics that you don't want to talk about and say, I've got a battle here. I don't want to, wouldn't want to talk about and say, I've got a battle here. This is a topic we need to say. If there's a battle, it needs to be addressed. If it's an issue, deal with it. Help your family to flee fornication lest you run into the, the consequences mentioned. I cannot thank you enough for listening to this message and being here this evening. I know many of you didn't come because of the message. You came because you're concerned for others. And I appreciate that. And I would appreciate that what you would do as you walk out is you would encourage one another to continue to serve the Lord. They're your friends, and you're praying for them.